to continue along with that, I'd love for you to open your Bibles to Lamentations, chapter 3. Lamentations, it's right in between the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Uh, if you are uh, looking through the Old Testament, uh, um, Jeremiah, um, the prophet, writes the book of Lamentations, uh, and it's sort of his, uh, sort of his uh, kind of a, a extra component to his prophecy book. It's his journal as he watched the nation of Israel, specifically the city of Jerusalem, be invaded, be conquered, and he watched all the people be taken captive, and he watched the temple be destroyed, and himself uh, caught up in the rubble, uh, soaking all this, taking all this in, uh, brokenhearted by all of it. Uh, He writes to us uh, about how he felt um, as he watched all this go down. Um, and uh, chapter three is really uh, the, the end of, of the war. The, the temple's gone, the people are gone. Jeremiah and a few others are left to pick up the pieces and they too would be taken captive not long after. But this is how Jeremiah reflected on all of it. Uh, Jeremiah chapter three, verse number 19, he writes, talking to God, remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood, which is medicine, and gall, My soul still remembers and sinks within me. He's reflecting on all that he just saw. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because of his compassions failing not, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. If there is a passage of scripture that you should commit to memory this year or bookmark, highlight, and return to week after week, maybe day after day, I think this one is a front runner on the list of important one. It reminds us, it promises us, no matter what we faced or what we are facing or what we will face, every single day we wake up to God's faithfulness. And this is God's promise to you. And this is what this word promises to all of us, that God renews his commitment to you with every new dawn. Jeremiah watched the sun go down on the worst day of his life. Everybody in the, in the city was taken captive. The, the prize, the, 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 the precious epicenter of worship, the temple was destroyed. Jeremiah, in the rubble of it all, in the ruin of it all, sees the sun come up the next morning and he makes this proclamation of faith that God's mercies are new every morning, that God's faithfulness is steadfast and he makes that declaration of faith. God is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. I've lost everything else, but I have not lost my God nor my faith. And that's why we can have that confidence. God renews his commitment to you. Now, whether or not you renew your commitment to him, that's up for grabs. You may choose to take away your commitment. You may back away. You may, you know, your your commitment to God may fluctuate as it does, right? God's commitment to us never wavers. It is a predetermined, and perhaps you've got predetermined decisions that you know you're going to wake up and do certain things, and maybe some things you don't know if you're going to do them, right? You might work on your car today, or you might take out the, the, the garbage. You probably should do that. It might start smelling but you might do certain things but you have made a decision ahead of time I'm gonna wake up and love my family I'm gonna wake up and take care of what I've got to take care of I'm gonna wake up and do what I've been called and and committed to do that's how God operates God wakes up every morning God with every new dawn he has a predetermined commitment to you whether you respond or not what a blessing that is to know right You know, I hope everybody's had a great 2024 so far. There's not been much time for things to go too 
left or right, uh, and obviously anything can happen, but um, uh, there's not been too many days for things to go too off the rails. But, but uh, you know, life is full of surprises, the good or the bad, doesn't usually uh, care what time it is, right? Things happen when they're going to happen, and it doesn't matter whether it's the end of the year, beginning of the year, middle of the year, um, you know, regardless of what day it is, uh, we, we, we should never underestimate just what can happen in a few days, even of a new year. But, but really, we're all pros at this New Year's thing by now. Um, you know, even if you've only been around for, for a decade or so, you're, you're, you're a professional New Year per, New Year's person. Uh, you know, and we've seen so many come and so many go, and it's not a trick question, but we've been New Year'sing for almost as long as we've been living, right? So, you know, <laughs> to ask how many New Year's have you seen, well, you've seen as many New Year's as you've been alive, minus, minus one, right? Um, so we've been making resolutions and reflecting and recapping, dreaming and planning for a long, long time. So most of us, most of you, um, you're really unfazed with the New Year's. I mean, you know, most of the year it's just a change in a single digit, nothing, not a big deal, just a calendar change, just a flip of the page. Um, but the thing is, um, you start changing more than just a single digit, you start changing decades or centuries or even millenniums, right? Go back 20 couple years and see how everybody freaked out about the new millennium and that's, that's okay, it was, it was a big deal. But, but hey, you start changing more than just that last digit, we start getting a little bit more, a little bit more serious and a little bit more um, interested. But after all, regardless of whether it's the decade, the century, or, or just another year, uh, you know, it's just a number at the end of the day. What I think raises the importance of the new year, um, more than just the number going up, is that every new year is the beginning of a cycle, a cycle that we've all been through before. Every new year is the beginning of and the repeat of a cycle, a cycle that we all agree upon, a cycle that we all around the world adhere to. And what I mean by that is every year from January to December, that is a predetermined, agreed upon cycle that uh, a 12-month period that we have all agreed as people, as human beings, as people on every, con- every continent, every country, we've all agreed that based on the, the, the sun and based on the moon and based on how things, how time passes, we've agreed that there is this predetermined set of months. There's this predetermined set of seasons and events that we are going to refer to as a year. And it's going to be the same thing year after year. Every January, every February, March, April, it all goes and it comes and goes. It's a cycle, right? So there's going to be Easter. There's going to be Memorial Day. There's going to be the 4th of July. There's going to be spring and fall. There's going to be winter and summer. There's going to be Christmas, right? We, we know this. We, we, we know what 2024 has in store for us at a very simple you know, understanding of, hey, we're going to have the same big dates and the same big events and the same seasons year after year, rinse and repeat. We are prepared for that much. Uh, Of course, within that set parameter, there's a lot of things that we might not be prepared for. There's unexpected things. There's unplanned things that will go off, but they still will take place within that predetermined, unchanging cycle that begins in January and goes through December. Uh, the two things that are different from year to year, guaranteed, as many things say the same, there's two things that are guaranteed to be different from last year to this year for you on a personal level. Um, not to hurt your feelings, but you're older. You don't look any older, not yet. It's not, we're, we're young in this year, right? You're older, but with that age comes experience, right? With that age comes experience. So you, the two things that are guaranteed to change from last year to this year is you are older than you were last year and therefore you are more experienced as in you've been through this before. Some of you have been through a lot of these before. I, like, right, I've been through 33 of these before. We've been through this before. As much as there is unknown and unexpected and unplanned, we kind of know what's coming because we've done it a lot, right? 
So we're older or more experienced. So compared one year to another, almost everything is set up exactly the same, except, right, you've got seasons and months and holidays and starting points and deadlines within a, with a plethora of new things sprinkled in. But as you face the things you've faced before, some things are scheduled, some things are dated, other things that are new versions of older things, just, you know, dressed up and colored in a new way. But as you go into those things, you're older than you were. So therefore, you have a little bit of wisdom or a lot of wisdom. You've got wisdom and you've got experience. So not to belabor the things that are on repeat, but this year we're going to face the same big annual dates. We're going uh, we're, we're to check a box like we always check every season with the things that come along with those seasons. But as we go, as we go and as we face whatever this year's um, unexpected tragedy may be, and again, I hope not, but we've been through enough of these before that usually there are some, whether on a personal level or a national level, um, we're going to face some amazing opportunities. You're going to be afforded to do something that you maybe never were able to do before, but it's not that dissimilar to the opportunity you had last year. It's just a new one. It's just a different one but you've had one before. So right, there's going to be this year's tragedy, this year's opportunity, there's going to be this year's challenge, there's going to be this year's frustrations. But again, we've already went through these kind of things before, haven't we? 2023 had its share of frustrations and challenges and opportunities and tragedies, but 2024 is going to have its own share. The one thing we we have going for us this year that sets us up better than any year before is that we've already done all of this before. It might have new skin, it might not have new color, it might be shined up or it might be a little different presentation, but ultimately, we've already done this before. Yeah, the tragedy might be bigger. The opportunity may require more work. The frustrations might be a little bit more difficult. But again, we've faced things like this before on some level. We've already adapted, we've already endured, we've already overcame. So I think framing the new year like this does two things for you. Number one, it takes some of the mystery away. It takes some of the mystery. You know, we go into a new year. I wonder what's going to happen this year. But do you really, are you really that, that you know, unsure? Because I think we know what's going to happen, right? We, we know on a basic level, there's going to be these certain things that always happen. And there's going to be different versions of things that we've already faced in some capacity. Just a different, you know, version of it, a, a different iteration of it, a, a different shade of it. So it takes the mystery away. But also, and that leads to the second point, it encourages us to take advantage of what we bring into this year. So what we bring into this year, again, is the wisdom and the experience of having done this before. And that allows you to have a very practical approach and pathway as you navigate, as you face this new year, so that you can process whatever happens and that you might be able to navigate it to the best of your ability, to to the way that you would be pleased with. So an approach that I think already, that we already are familiar with and have experience with, uh, we might not have never applied it in this broad way, but I think we're already familiar with with this idea of, hey, I've been through this before, I'm going to go through it again, and I'm going to be better equipped to to handle it this time. So uh, on a a very kind of superficial level, think about Think about your favorite television series or your favorite TV show. Uh, you know, it could be a, a, a sitcom, it could be a drama series, it could be a soap opera. I, I don't know what you're into. But think about your favorite television show and think about that one that you like to watch again and again and again and again. You just rewatch it it's five seasons, six seasons, ten seasons. You, you're just there and you know, you already, you watch it because you kind of already know what's going to happen and you like to see it and it makes you kind of feel, you know, it's just a good nostalgic thing. So when you are five, six, ten seasons deep into a show, you sit down and rewatch it and rewatch it, even though 
know, you know, you've seen it before, you know, by the time you get three or four seasons in, there's this, in your mind, you're thinking, you know what, I like that I can kind of predict what's going to happen. There's going to be this challenge, this frustration, this opportunity, and it's kind of going to be similar to last season, but it's going to be a little bit different, presented a little differently, a little differently. And even if you're watching something new that you're into, again, by the time you get three or four seasons into a series, you kind of can predict what's going to happen. And it might not be to the same person, or it might not be the same scenario, but it's going to be similar, right? So again, whether it's a sitcom or a drama, a soap opera, every show has a, has a rhythm to it, has a cadence to it. And when you watch or rewatch any given season, you are constantly thinking about what happened before, and your expectations are put in line, uh, and you're prepared for the twists and the turns that are coming along the way. So a more, a more real-life example is in school or at work, when you, when you go through assignments or projects or you encounter situations that require some extra effort, um, when you have accomplished one assignment or when you have finished one project, when the next one comes along, you are more equipped to do it, right? When you, when you have done 15 different projects, you're ready for the 16th because you've already done it before. And even if it's a different one or a different, you know, different kind or a different subject, you've got that wisdom and experience, Right? So again, um, when you approach a project or uh, again, when you sit down with a, a film you've, that's the ninth iteration or installment, a, a book that, you know, 15, uh, 15th novel by your favorite author, when you go into your 100th project at school or work, I think that's, that mentality is similar to how you should approach a new year. You should roll up your sleeves and you should think to yourself, I've been here before. I'm older, I'm wiser, I'm more prepared than I've ever been. I'm back for more. Think about how different we would handle the year ahead from the mundane things to the insane, unpredictable things. We would look at the opportunity that pops up that may never come up again we, because we've seen it before. We've seen this movie before. We know we should probably be a little bit more eager. We know we should take advantage of it because, again, we might not get this chance again, right? Every year there's something that happens that you kind of get a one chance, a one shot at it, and if it passes, it's gone. Uh, we would look at the challenge that appears out of nowhere and we wouldn't underestimate the amount of attention that's needed to sort through it that we got to do the work. We would probably handle difficulty a lot better from disappointments to devastation uh, because we've been through something before and we've made it through it before. Now, obviously, this is where our faith comes in and where we have to bring God into the conversation because obviously he, he's involved. Um, He's the one who orders your steps. He's the one that's numbered our days. He's the one that has this year planned and prepared and has in mind what is coming. So all of that, knowing all of this, just means that you and I are way more accountable and there is more expected from us in terms of how we should react to whatever this year brings to us. Here's the thing. I think all of us can agree with the premise that, uh, but, but I think it needs to be drawn out of us. We kind of we try to hush this and push this away. I think it needs to come to the surface and be exposed to the light. There is a duplicity, which means a, a crookedness, or there is a hypocrisy. There is a duplicity between our knowledge, between our experience. There is a duplicity with what we have learned because we've been around the sun a few times with how we often respond and react to life. There is a duplicity, there is a little bit of hypocrisy in what we know because of what we've learned 
and how we go into a new year and we face things that we faced before, yet we repeat the same mistakes and we make the same poor decisions than we did last year. For example, if we've been through this before and we know what God has done before, yet we still respond a certain way, isn't that unbecoming of someone with our experience? What does that say about our faith in God if we went through this last year and we go into it again and we don't act any differently? What does it say about our experience as a Christian if we don't respond differently or better than we did last year or two years ago? Well, it might not deny that we have faith, but it definitely calls into question how serious we are, how devoted we are, how faithful we are. You see, a lot of us, myself included, we've internalized certain behaviors, certain responses and reactions to things that we don't understand. There are things that happen to us that we don't understand, we don't approve of, we don't endorse, we don't feel good about, or we don't like, and the same kind of thing happens every year. It's just from a different different perspective or a different angle. Things come our way that we didn't plan for, we don't want anything to do with, that we wish we could get away from, but we can't. A lot of us, we've been through all kinds of things year after year, yet we still react and we still respond the exact same way that we did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Why is that? Time says that we should be experienced so that we don't have to go through a hurricane every year when things go off the rails. Whether it's a personal trial, a crisis, a family, or community, a national problem. The problem is, we have so internalized, we've so internalized our reaction to things that we don't like, that we don't expect, that we don't even notice that we're betraying our faith and we're suppressing the experience that God has given us in the process. Does that make sense? That you and I are already, de- already decided, we've already decided that when something goes a way that we don't like this year, we're going to react a certain way. Even though we've already reacted that way before and God showed us that we shouldn't. Things are going to happen at home this year that have happened before. And even though you have been through it before and it's caused a big problem and it's a big drama and you've, everybody gets banged up, you know how to avoid it now. But we're going to go right into the storm this year, aren't we? Why is that? Why is it that every time a big problem happens in our personal life, our professional life, in the country, we've seen it happen before and we've been through it, we've come out of it, we should be better prepared for what happens next. But we aren't. Because you and I have already made a decision, we've internalized our reaction and we are suppressing our faith in the process. So I would hope that you would be willing to join me and admit that this is true about you. It's true about me. We've got these mechanisms internalized and entrenched within us that we don't ever pay attention to. They need to be exposed, they need to be extracted, and they need to be replaced. We've been through enough, we've seen God show up enough that it's time we learn from what we've seen so that we don't have to rehash the same fights, the same fears, the same what-if scenarios, the same thing that causes your mind to go off, you know, into into, terrible places and, and worry and fret and fear and panic and fight and argue that we can avoid those things. So what if, what if we just entered 2024 with an attitude that, hey, I've been here before, but now I'm older, now I'm wiser, now I'm more experienced. I've seen what God has done. I'm ready for 2024, I'm back for more. But what what, what more? What are you back for? Well, all of it. The good, the bad, the everything that God brings our way because we don't control it. We don't know what's going to happen. We can expect the unpredictable. We don't know. 
We see, you see, we're not, we're not back with the level of confidence that we know what's going to come. We're back with an understanding that we know how things work. We've, we've experienced it before. We've endured it before. And most importantly, we know. We know. We know that God will show. We know that God's going to show up. We, know, we might not like what happens. We might we may love what happens. But either way, we know. Here's what you can do as you enter this year and as you face whatever comes your way. You've done this before. You know what happens. You know how it works. They're going to come on with bad news. Work's going to go this way. The country's going to go that way. You've been through this before. But what do you know is going to happen through all that? That God is going to show up in the midst of all of it. So here's what I want to do. I want, I want you to turn over to the book of Acts, Acts 27, very end of the book. Um, it doesn't get near enough attention that it deserves. Um, it, it's a story that, uh, that, that shows how great God is, and it offers you and I the assurance that can help empower us for what is ahead, whether we can predict it or not. Um, it's at the end of the book of Acts. It's a story that gets very overlooked, probably because it's at the, it's at the, it's at the end. And, and here's kind of the, the backstory. It's a story about the Apostle Paul being transported from Judea to Rome as a prisoner. Paul was, of course, an evangelist planting churches from the Middle East all throughout the Roman Empire. Um, he started um, in Syria. He went north, uh, which is north of Israel. He made his way into Turkey and eventually into Greece. All the while, and we've got a map of his journeys. You can look at it in the back of your Bibles. But that circuit, that, that circuit from starting in Jerusalem, and it, he makes a big circle. He makes several different trips all across that region. Uh, he goes around the area of, of Turkey, of Greece, and he plants churches. He visits Jewish synagogues. He informs the Jews their Messiah has come. Many of these Jewish communities uh, in these Jewish synagogues convert to Christianity. Um, and, and, and along the way, he's also winning many Gentiles. So he plants churches. And if you zoom in on all, in all of those dozens of cities, he plants churches in all of these major Roman Greco cities. So again, from Damascus to Antioch to Iconium to Galatia, Colossae of Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens. He plants churches in all these places. He covers this region. He gets a call back though. After about 15 years, he gets a call from Jerusalem that he needs to come back and visit the church leaders. And along the way, he's been raising money for some, uh, for some projects in Jerusalem. There's been an earthquake. There's been a famine. He's bringing funding back to support those that are in need. So while he's there, many of his former colleagues, Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the, 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 the Jewish council that was opposed to Christianity. Many of his former colleagues, they recognize him and they become indignant that he's the guy who is causing so much trouble in their synagogues because all of them scattered around the region are tethered to Jerusalem. And many of those synagogues are dissolving and starting up as churches and that's costing Jerusalem a lot of money. And it's costing the people of Israel a lot of uncertainty about the, the future of their faith. So um, they set their eye on him and they wonder, hey, is this our chance? to put this guy out, to put him on the bench, to keep him from continuing to, to, to spread this Christianity that we, we're trying to stop. Meanwhile, Rome is very suspicious of all this activity because they tried to kill the Jesus movement 20 years ago when they killed Jesus, and yet his movement is still going. So they're a little bit worried about this. So the Jewish authorities take the opportunity, they have Paul arrested, and they present him to the Roman officials who are in the seats of Herod and Pilate, Remember those guys, they killed Jesus. The new guys are in the region. 
they go to them and they say, hey, remember, the, remember Jesus, how we killed him? Well, his movement's still going and this is the guy who's leading the charge. So we need to kill him too. So Paul goes on a similar trial that Jesus went on. He goes before the Judean king, Herod, King Herod's grandson called Agrippa. He goes before Pilate's replacement, a guy named Festus. But things go differently for Paul then it went for Jesus because Paul was a Roman citizen. Paul was born in Turkey. Not, he, he wasn't born in Israel, even though he was a Jew. So Paul sees this as an opportunity on trial while he's being charged for committing treason and people are trying to crucify him like they crucified Jesus. Paul knows being a Roman citizen, he has the right to appeal to the Roman courts. And he does. So Paul appeals to Caesar which was a death sentence. It was just going to happen in a different place. But Paul says, hey, this is going to give me a chance to finally get to Rome because Paul had been wanting to go to the heart of the empire for years and this was his one-way ticket. So Paul appeals to Caesar and he's going to be transported to Rome. And it's going to take a long time because this was, a, you could imagine, there's a lot of people that are on trial to stand before Caesar. This is going to be a lengthy process, much like our own federal court uh, federal trials so um, Rome had shut out Jews for a decade so Paul had no way to get into the to, to Rome because Rome wouldn't let Jews in because they were suspicious of all the activity surrounding Jesus so Paul says this is my one shot at getting to Rome so he appeals to Caesar and he is placed in a holding ward for a couple of years so if you read the story it's incredible the the Jewish leaders the Roman leaders they're playing checkers and Paul's playing chess because Paul knows this is my chance to get to Rome, to plant a church, to win people to Jesus that otherwise would never be reached. And if I have to go to Rome as a prisoner, so be it. That's great. That's God's will for me. And people tell Paul, you can read that the church is telling Paul, Paul, you're crazy. Paul, don't do this. This is not God's will. And Paul says, yes, it is. I don't know who what God y'all are talking to. This is God's will for me. I've got to go to Rome as a prisoner. They're thinking, Paul, you're going to be killed. He says, I don't care. If I get to Rome and I've put on some house arrest or put on some level of arrest there, but I still get a chance to reach people, then I get to infiltrate the home, the heart of the empire, and the world will never be the same. He was right. He was bold, and some called him crazy, but he was right. So Paul's put in a holding prison for two years because the trial is so far off. So finally, the, 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 the trial is nearing and Rome is going to transport over 200 prisoners from the Middle Eastern area, from Egypt, from the, uh, Arabia, from Israel. Rome is going to transport 200 prisoners from Judea to Rome across the Mediterranean Sea that you can see in front of you. And this is where we're jumping into the story. Again, Paul has been through it. He's faced it. He's had success. He's had trials. At this point in life, with the faith he's got, Paul was ready for anything. Even if that was being taken by a, sh a ship as a prisoner with a load of prisoners to stand before Caesar. And a quick word about Roman seafaring in the ancient world, it wasn't safe. And Rome was not too concerned if a boat full of prisoners sank in the middle Mediterranean because it wasn't lost on them. It was just going to save them court costs. So they weren't too worried about putting these guys on a boat that wasn't too durable. But the Apostle Paul, a man who had faced everything, he saw this as just another pathway to get to where God wanted him to go. So we'll come back to that in a little bit, but let's read Acts 27, verses 1 through 8. 
When it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and the other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adamitrium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Um, Aristocrus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day, we landed in Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary, or there was a headwind. And when we sailed over the sea, which is off of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had, slow, when we had sailed slowly many days uh, and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, the wind was not permitting us to proceed. We sailed under the shelter of Crete alone off of Salome. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now that sounds very general, very incidental details. But it actually serves to prove the point we're talking about. This passage encapsulates the flow of everyday life that we've all experienced. Maybe we don't know what it's like to be a prisoner transported across an ocean, but we do know what it's like to be at the mercy of someone else's decision. We know what it's like to be beholden to people. We, we are all servants to somebody. Sometimes in life, it feels like we're a slave to so many systems being pulled in so many directions. And verse 3 tells us that a centurion, the centurion in charge of all this, he showed Paul unexpected kindness and allowed Paul to visit some friends who had came to the ports that he was stopping at, people that no doubt he had impacted along, the, along his ministry. Of all the details, I think it stands out especially because we know how good it feels to be treated with random acts of kindness. We know how good it feels for someone to encourage us that we didn't expect them to do that and we weren't expecting them to be there for us. Verse 4 tells us, though, that this was not an easy trip. It actually was a difficult journey. It says the winds were contrary to the ship. And, you know, life feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes life feels like there's a strong headwind targeting us. A headwind is directly opposing forward motion. You ever feel like that's... We call it spinning our wheels, right? You're trying to go forward and there's a wind coming at you with more force, right? Verse six tells us that they had, they had to change ships unexpectedly for unstated reasons. Verse seven and verse eight reiterate that this was a difficult voyage and it says that things were going very slow. Again, these are incidental details, but, but maybe they reflect their lives back to us. 2024 will certainly have some slow and difficult days some slow and difficult seasons. There'll be moments where you have to pivot in the middle of something, change horses, change boats, change plans like they did. Uh, there will be days where things come your way and go your way that are as uplifting as the rest of the days were discouraging. So there'll be days where people like Julius are unexpectedly kind to you and that begins to counter some of the difficult and some of the frustrating. But it'll ebb and flow. There'll be ups and there'll be downs. That's just how life is. We don't hear any commentary from Paul in this text because he was used to life going this way. There'll be days where you take advantage of the favor shown to you and there's days that you just take it on the chin where it's difficult, where it's slow, where it's frustrating. But as we're about to read, even Paul began to get a little bit nervous, a little bit wearied by all that was going on, by all that seemed to be against them. And, and he, even him, he began to get a little bit Worried. Look at verse 9. It says that when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because of the fast was already over. 
or, or the, the temporary stay. Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive this voyage will end with disaster, much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but our lives too. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening to, toward the southwest and the northwest, and winter there. So, Paul voices concerned that this, this might be a risky trip. While the centurion was more worried about the bottom line. And he's worried about making as much time as possible. And isn't that how the yin and yang of, the, of life works? Uh, time does not slow down. And there's some of us that we, we feel the pressure of life. And we're not worried about, you know, we're not concerned about what could be at risk. We're just trying to get our job done, right? We're trying to move from point A to point B to point C. And we don't have time. We don't got time to be sick, time to be worried, time to stop and rest. We just got to go, go, go. And, and that's how life works sometimes. Others of us, though, we're filled with dread. We're filled with worry. And, and we wonder if we can even take a step forward. And, and, and we'll be at one of those places in life. All year, all throughout this year, you'll have days that you're filled with pressure and you got your head down and you're moving. There'll be days where you're frozen with fear because you just can't even comprehend it all. But in this instance, Paul was even worried. Paul was concerned. But God had other plans. And God was in control. So surely God could have docked this ship if he wanted to. I mean, surely his hand's on it for the sake of Paul. Surely he's got... He's going to take care of these people, if only for Paul. But with all the risk, the voyage still continued. Because clearly God willed it to. As the story goes, they're about to find themselves in the middle of an actual hurricane. So score for Paul on perceiving that things were about to go down. Look at verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, so they think, hey, you know, the winds are softening, so no worries. Paul, you're just worried over nothing. Let's go. Uh, they put out to sea. They sailed close to Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind called uh, a Eurocyclodon, which is, which is just a hurricane, uh, a nor'easter, we would call it, a, a hurricane. When the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. So they just, hey, pull the, pull the sail up and let it go because there's no control in this. Uh, so when the ship was caught, we, we let her go. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, featuring, fearing that lest they should run aground on uh, citrus sands, they stuck sail and so were driven. So again, we get all these little details. This is so so neat, right? Uh, and because we were exceedingly tempted, tempt tossed the next day they lightened the ship so I mean they're they're panicking at this point on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us all hope that we would be saved was finally given up now at some point in this year you're going to feel like that I hope not but probably it might be on a on a you know small scale or it might be on a national scale if we translate this for how our years go, sometimes we can't imagine what they were going through. And here's what, I, what this has all been leading to, the reason that we're in this text today. Paul's about to address the crew as they navigate the eye of the storm. And the, with the presence of mind and the composure that he speaks, it, it's so powerful. So just get this as we wrap up. Verse 21. After a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. 
And how are, what's going to happen to us if the ship goes? Well, stay tuned. <laughs> For there stood by me this night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Therefore, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men. For I believe God, I trust in God, that it will be just as it was told me. If that verse isn't highlighted in your Bible, it should be. If you, can't, if you can memorize it, you should. I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, don't leave verse 26 out. Hey, we're going to be okay. We're going to crash into an island. We're going to be okay. If, any, if you ever hear anybody quote verse 25, be sure to remind them. Hey, what's verse 26 say? Not to say it can't. It's not going to be okay. But hey, Paul, can you imagine? Paul says, hey guys, we are going to be okay. It might hurt a little bit. We might have some bruises. But we're making it. We're landing on the island. In verse 22, we see Paul corrects his own fears. Hey, I was worried, y'all. But I am now confident. Why? Because God was with me. God has been with me. And listen, y'all, this is so powerful. Back in verse 10, Paul says, guys, we shouldn't do this. I don't think we're going to make it. I think we're all going to die. But now he says, you know what? We are going to survive because God has given me comfort and assurance. God told me we're going to make it. We are going to make it. It might be a little bit of a ride, but we're going to make it. But verse 25 is our key verse. I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. So here's what Paul says. I'm speaking from experience, y'all. I trust in God, and I know that he will show. And if God shows up, we're going to make it. If God shows up, we're going to make it. And has God ever not showed up? Now, we read it, we read it earlier. Paul was nervous about it. But after thinking about it, praying about it, listening to God throughout it, he changed his tune. And I, I, I don't know what you're dealing with this year, but I think you should change your tune too if you aren't sure of what God's going to do. We touched on this earlier, but this is similar to when Jesus told the disciples in Luke 8. He says, one day they got into the boat and he says to them, let us cross over to the other side. Y'all know how that story goes. They get into the middle of a similar hurricane. Not a big hurt, not a big storm, but a similar storm. And the ship's sinking, it's overflowing with water, and they all are panicking, and Jesus is asleep. But what did Jesus say? And, and you know why he rebukes them? You know why he says, hey, why are y'all doubting? Why are y'all afraid? You know why he, he chastised them? Because he promised them ahead of time, we're going to make it. God's never going to chastise you for something that he didn't already tell you ahead of time how it was going to go down. Right? The reason why God says, hey, you shouldn't worry. I told you we were going to be fine. He promised them. So I don't know what's ahead for 24. I'm certain it'll feature a lot of things similar to what we dealt with last year, year before, year before that. We've been through so much. Alongside of us, along the way has been God. We need not forget that going into this year, because, because what he's done before, what we've witnessed, it's vital to embolden us and empower us for what is ahead. We cannot fall back on our instincts, our forgetful and nervous nature that immediately reacts to things in a poor way. We cannot fall back on our instincts without considering what God is up to in all of this. 
Paul teaches us a valuable lesson. A man who'd been thrown out of buildings, he'd been whipped and flogged, he'd been beaten to de- near death, he was threatened, he was jailed, he was stoned to near death, he's been abandoned and betrayed by his friends. Paul had been around the sun a few times. He knew that God had been with him in all of it. He had every reason to trust God with whatever was going to come next. If I can poke and prod a little bit, many of you, many of you stop short of pursuing God's greater plans for your life because you're fixated on lesser plans or you're distracted by other plans. Many of you do not seek God's greater plans because you are settling for and distracted by and you're too nervous to step out on the water so you are okay with lesser other plans. We don't see how God actually shows up in the slow times and the tough times because we're focused on all that maybe doesn't make sense. So our story concludes. The ship enters the most intense, threatening part of the storm. And Paul says down in verse 31 when they're thinking about jumping off, he says, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. He's not making a theological statement here. He's not saying that you'll lose your salvation because that's not the context. He's talking about being alive. But here's the lesson in that verse. If we don't trust in God, if we don't trust that God is working in what we're going through, we might not live to see what he intends to deliver. We might miss out on our participation in the blessing. So what do they do in response? They cut the ropes of the escape boats. They cut the lifeboats. Hey, we don't want to miss out on what God's going to do. We're going to take away our escape route. That's bold, but they did it. After this, Paul leads the whole crew, 276 people in a worship service. These guys, are, these guys are murderers. These guys are prisoners. These guys are rebels. He leads 276 people in thanksgiving to God. And he says, y'all, hey, we need to stop and we need to eat a little bit. We need to get ourselves nourished. Sometimes we get so worried that we don't take care of ourselves spiritually. We starve ourselves Paul encourages them to give thanks to God. And you, you know, this is why church and anchoring yourself in a church and getting involved in worship and your, getting in God's word, that's why it's so important. Because sometimes you don't know what God is preparing you for. And being here today may be preparing you for something that you have no idea what it entails. You don't know what God is preparing you for and you won't need the experience until you need it. Does that make sense? You won't need what God is trying to feed you until one day you wake up and you need it. Here's what happens to wrap all this up. Verse 39. When it was the day, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach on to which they planned to run the ship if possible. Let, and they let go of the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore, striking a place but where two seas met. They ran the ship aground, and the plow and the prow stuck fast, remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. If, if, if I can translate that for you, the ship is crashing and falling apart. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And and I love this verse. This verse is so powerful. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was, they all escaped safely to land. 
some on broken pieces, some on what remained of the vessel, some caught up in the waves and washing ashore. They all made it. And they made it because they trusted God. They activated the dormant faith or they shifted their otherwise invested faith. We all have faith. You have faith in something or somebody or some of this world today. We can shift that faith into God. Some of you have had faith that you've let go dormant and you've doubted that God can do what he says he can do. Today, today it's time to activate, to awaken that faith. We already, a week into 2024, we're back for more of what we've been through before. There will be ups and downs, temptations and trials, but we must stand our ground if we declare, we trust in God, we know he will show up. Then we will have taken our first step that we need to, to demonstrate our faith and meet our God-given potential in this year. We know that he will be faithful every single morning with new mercies and new grace. The question will be for each day, how will we respond to what he's provided us? Will we allow what we've seen and what we know to guard our hearts and order our steps? Will we say like Paul said in verse 25, I believe God and it will happen just as he said it would. We are gonna make it. How do you know? I've been through this before. You know the old song, we don't know what tomorrow hold but in a lot of ways we kind of do the promise and certainty of God awaits you tomorrow it may be a good day a bad day a weird day I don't know but God is going to be there waiting for you the finer details God knows but he will show up so you know you and I can boldly and confidently say we are back for more in 2024 no matter what may be unknown or uncertain, we know that God will show. Can we say that, those words in yellow together? We know that God will show. We know that God will show. I, I don't know what your year is going to look like, but you've been through enough of them to know that things are going to go left and right, up and down, good and bad. But for you to get what God has for you in this year, you have got to make that decision today. I trust in God. I believe God and he will be proven right in the end. Some will make it on the ship. Some will be holding on to pieces of the ship. Some will get swallowed up by the water and spit out on the land. But guess what? We're gonna make it to where God wants us to make it to. God is here, he's in the future. And where you need to end up at, he's gonna make sure you get there. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this encouraging word from, from, from the Bible that, that, that shows us how you are faithful. Your mercies are new every morning and no matter what we face yesterday, today we have more experience and more wisdom and we are prepared to handle whatever comes our way. So God, today, whatever the people here today are facing and th thinking about, Lord, they may be worried about their own personal life. They may be worried about their family. They may be overwhelmed by what's going on in the world. There's a lot to be frustrated about, to be worried about, to be afraid of. Lord, they may have all these things in front of them that, that are really more important to them right now than their faith and, and they don't really know if they have time for 
for you, but God, today you are whispering, you are shouting to them, saying, hey, what is ahead? You have no idea, but you can trust me. And what you've been through has prepared you for this moment, that you can trust me as I have been, I will be. I can trust in God because I know that he will show up through it all. Lord, give us the faith to step out and follow you and to trust you with what has, what will come to us in 2024. And we're back for it. We're here for it because we know that you are here too. We give you this in Jesus' name. Amen.